Mogu Motivation, educating and empowering entrepreneurs one week at a time. Presented by True Stories Media. And I am your host, Antoine Twiz Taylor. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mogul Motivation. I'm happy that you are here. If this is your first time listening, this podcast is for the aspiring entrepreneur who is trying to get over that hump. This podcast is for anybody who has a dream and is trying to elevate to success. This week's Monday conversation, I am sitting down with Nancy Williams. She is a certified franchise consultant, the owner of Invaluable Franchise Consulting Firm, as well as a contributing writer for Black Enterprise Magazine. Nancy, how are you doing this morning? I'm great, Antoine. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, looking forward to doing this uh, podcast. No problem. Thank you for uh, agreeing to do it because uh, this is a very important topic that I believe for uh, black entrepreneurs out there. So, Nancy, how about you just tell us about your background? Like, what brought you to not just becoming an entrepreneur but specializing in the franchising uh, realm? What brought you here? Like, tell us about your background. Sure, sure. Great question, because uh, it certainly was a development over time. Uh, I've always had an entrepreneur spirit. I uh, graduated from UCLA, and while I was at UCLA, I did a couple of things. Uh, One, I had my own nonprofit organization uh, helping kids get acclimated with the a college environment so that it wasn't such a strange thing to them when they were thinking about, you know, uh, what to do after high school. So, so that was kind of uh, my first official uh, dip into the world of, of owning my own business. Uh, and then shortly after I graduated from UCLA, I uh, had a partner. We started our own record label uh, that focused mostly on uh, gospel music and uh, working with the UCLA Gospel Choir. So mm-hmm. again, I, I've been an entrepreneur uh, Uh, from from early on. Decided to go into corporate for several reasons. Uh, wanted to learn a, a lot more about business, how the corporate environment worked. I knew that would enhance uh, my skill set for whatever I wanted to do later in life. So I ended up uh, ultimately at Sprint. Uh, I worked in at Nextel, uh, and then Sprint bought Nextel. So I was there for 14 years um, as a director. And I had a team of 25, and we were uh, mainly responsible for, um, I would say, late, later on, later in my career, the last five, five years of my career, I was responsible for uh, helping Sprint store owners, both, both on contract and no contract or postpaid and prepaid, however you like to refer to it. Mm-hmm. But we were responsible for uh, setting up stores. Um, for Sprint affiliates, uh, Sprint dealers, uh, and um, making sure that they had what they needed in order to um, have their stores both get up and running and then function on a day-to-day basis. So whether that was uh, bill pay, top-up, handsets, all of those sorts of things we were responsible for ensuring happened uh, at the store level. And that was um, both for Sprint affiliates as well as Big Box, so your Walmarts, your Best Buys of the world. So um, when I decided, you know, my Sprint career was was over just due to, you know, I was getting a little bit bored. I didn't really see a lot of opportunity for growth. Yeah. Um, I started to think about what was what was I going to do next? And I looked into franchising uh, because I knew uh, it was a, a structured environment 
And while my experience was in customer service and sales, um, you know, I didn't necessarily want to be uh, doing all of it. And I, I know I know I needed help. I didn't have really any partners at the time that I could think of, uh, you know, to, to help with day-to-day operations. So I, I started looking at franchises. Mm-hmm. And that's when I stumbled upon the world of franchise consulting because if anyone out there has, has gone through websites, that's one of the things that pops up when you're looking at the various um, franchise portals is, would you like to speak to a franchise consultant? So, you know, I clicked on the button and the rest is history. I uh, started interviewing franchise consultants that uh, had been in the business for quite some time, mm-hmm. learned a lot about what the um, what the goal of a franchise consultant and goal and role and uh, is. And then I also uh, spoke to um, you know, some of my uh, some of my mentors, some of my VPs, etc., in the corporate world that I knew had not gone back into um, the corporate world, and they had decided to to purchase private businesses or franchises. And I talked to them about did they use a consultant or a broker, and and I asked them, you know, if they thought that would be a good role for me, and they. They said, absolutely, they thought I'd be great at it. Mm-hmm. So so that's sort of what drove me. But in addition to that, as I spoke to and interviewed a lot of franchise consultants, I realized that there were very few um, minorities in the business and there were uh, very few women. So I felt that I had sort of found my calling, that what I could do is um, bring more opportunity to, you know, African-Americans and women when it comes to getting into business. And that was so important to me because the reality is that, um, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times our community is unaware of the assistance that um, consultants can provide in this space. Uh, And and I just wanted to be a liaison. On um, an advocate and to have more to increase the overall numbers of women and African Americans in business. Wow, interesting. So, <laughs> uh, a couple things. So, number one, um, you know a thing or two about uh, leading people because you went from owning a nonprofit to a record label, you know, to you know uh, corporate America. You know a thing or two about leading people and being you know a team player. That's number one. Um, sure. number two, what you, um, described, what, what you was doing at Sprint kind of seems like franchising within itself, kind of, it's kind of like, you know, um, exactly. Yeah. It kind of like, it was along the same lines of franchising. So in a way you was getting your, you know, tutelage and, you know, learning while you were at Sprint before you even became a certified franchise consultant. And you saw that, the, yes. you saw the need because, you know, even though you wanted to franchise initially yourself, you saw a need to basically bridge that gap, like you said, for more um, minority and women entrepreneurs to get into the franchising space. That's amazing to me. Exactly. So glad you pointed that out because, you know, a lot of times people think that if people are entrepreneur, you know, have entrepreneurial spirit and and they like entrepreneurship, that they're somehow anti-corporate. I completely disagree with that altogether. I think that what happens is if you decide to get in corporate, you're either going to be drawn to that world and stay in that world or you're going to get out of it 
what you need and learn from it and go apply that to whatever you do if you decide to buy a franchise or start your own business. There's some very valuable lessons you can learn in corporate and, and that can make you a much better business owner. You know, there's always a catch-22, though, because there is a, a comfort level in the corporate world because of the, the high paychecks and a lot of the perks that, you know, you, you really have to have that spirit to be able to cut ties and feel that you want to go on your own. So, you know, it, it's, it's one of those where, you know, I do encourage it because you can learn so much, but it does make it a little bit harder to, to make the leap, uh, you know, in, into being your own boss. So, uh, but yeah, so, to, you know, to your point, um, you're exactly right. I mean, one of the reasons I felt comfortable getting into this role is that, um, you know, those, those, years at Sprint that I, I was helping uh, essentially entrepreneurs get their business up and running. We, while we didn't call it a franchise um, necessarily at Sprint, we had different names for it, affiliate, master programs, master mm-hmm. agent programs. It was essentially a franchise. So I came into this, uh, you know, before I even was officially a certified uh, consultant um, for me having years of experience um, in the role of franchising. Okay. So, the whole word franchise is um is usually a word that a lot of entrepreneurs are unfamiliar with. When I say unfamiliar, I mean, yeah, of course we know what a franchise is, but we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to get started. So let's sure. talk about that. How if, if a entrepreneur right now, particularly black and minority entrepreneur right now, wanted to franchise a business, what should be their first start? How do you even get started? So let's take it. Uh, let's take it into perspective. So um, when you say you know an entrepreneur currently, um, that's a question of whether or not they're currently in a business or they just have that spirit. So okay. let's take the example of a person that, that says, you know what, I really I want to be my own boss. I don't know where to get started. Um, you know. Where, where do we go from here? So that's where I sit down and I talk to clients about a number of things. I mean, we we sometimes refer to ourselves as franchise matchmakers because that's that's essentially what we're doing. We're asking a series of questions, trying to understand your personality, short-term, long-term goals. You know, what do you feel comfortable with? Where do you see yourself and your family? You know, do you want to work nine to five? Do you want Saturdays off? You know, all of those questions uh, that, that, narrow down what, what a good business would be for someone. You know, we always get people coming and saying, oh my gosh, I eat Subway every day of the week. And so, and I see, you know, when I go there to buy my sandwich, it's always a line out the door. So I think I should own a Subway. Mm -hmm. And that is the wrong reason to buy a business. Uh, You know, food and food in general is a very difficult business outside of the franchise world and even in the franchise world. So, you know, just because you like to eat Subway and you see that there's a long does not mean that's the right business for you. So we have to ask a series of questions and break down layers of, you know, where where the person is today and where they want to be in the future. And of course, discuss things like, um, you know, investment um, uh, uh, levels, um, credit scores, all of those things. So, so that's what I do with the client that says, you know, hey, I'm in the corporate world. I really want to be an entrepreneur. Um, you know, where do we go from there? So I'll work with the client. We'll narrow down. I'll make some recommendations. And then I will work with the client all the way through the process, meaning I will set up the introduction with the franchisor. Um, 
I'd be on those calls. I will provide you with tools that you can ask the franchisor mm -hmm. as you go through the various steps, which includes interviewing current owners of that franchise. Again, I will provide you with tools to help facilitate that. If you need a referral for a business attorney so they can look over your franchise agreement, all of that. And then additionally, some aftercare. Once you've signed your, your agreement, I do follow up with you and stay in contact with you and the franchise because one of the things I want to make sure is that the franchise is doing uh, what they committed to do yeah. um, and if not how can I help that happen and then you know also because for me it's an important relationship with the franchisor because I'm not going to rec recommend them to future clients if, if they're not delivering on current clients mm -hmm. so so that's what I do with someone that you know says I really want to do this you know how do I get started I also talk to them a lot about um, funding I have I work with some of the top partners in the country on business funding so you know you can get a you know I can set up a free consultation for clients to learn everything you'd want to know about funding. Um, so, so that's one thing. Um, and then uh, again, you know, we just, I, I basically partner, partner with the person through the process. Is it easier in your opinion to get funding for a franchise as opposed to an entrepreneur starting their own business, you know, their own independent business? Yes, it is. So, um, great question. So the reason there's, there's a few reasons for that. Um, most loans that people are getting to fund any kind of business are small business uh, or SBA loans that are government-backed uh, loans distributed at the local level, state, state, city, local level. And so for those loans, um, they're looking for a couple of things. They're looking for a credit score of 680 or above. They're also looking for, as much as possible, a proven business plan. So... Um, and then third, so let me just mention three, the three. So, so pr proven business plan. And the third is um, a 25 to 30% cash down on the total of the loan. Okay. So that's something to keep in mind because I know a lot of people think that you can just get a loan and, and you don't have to supply any cash. But there is a requirement because the SBA is looking for investors that are ready to invest in themselves. Um, and so the SBA feels comfortable investing in them. So there is a requirement of cash even against an SBA loan. Okay. Um, but moving back to the second point, which is a, the proven business uh, plan, that's where franchises come in. Uh, it's important that um, the SBA feels comfortable lending money and feeling that they're going to get it back. Uh, that's the whole point of the program. So with a franchise, they're looking at the overall um, franchisor's numbers, okay. which is supplied in, the, in their franchise disclosure document that's filed with the Federal Trade Commission. So those, those documents show, you know, how many franchises opened and closed in, in, you know, every year for the past 10 years. They show, you know, um, what we call an item 19, so their financial disclosures on how things are going with the franchise. So that is what someone takes to um, when they apply for an SBA loan, and it's already there. Someone that's starting up a business most likely has no financial, uh, you know, history yeah. because it's a startup. So, so that's why you see a lot, uh, you know, when people seek funding for independent businesses, they're going to things like angel investors or crowdfund, you know, crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, those types of things, because those don't necessarily require any kind of um, uh, track record of success. Okay. Now, I went to a. Um franchising expo in 2014 in new york city uh -huh. and i saw so many businesses you know that 
franchise, you know, more businesses mm-hmm. than I, you know, ever thought about. And I'm, sure. I know you represent over like 400 brands when mm-hmm. it comes to franchising. It's different franchisers for different tax brackets. So, you know, a lot of people think you have to have, you know, a large amount of cash to franchise when that's really not true, is it? Like you can, you don't have to be, you know, making six figures per se for this and that. You can franchise companies, you know, that are on a smaller tier and still, you know, earn income. Is that true? That is very true. So I would say most of the people investing in franchises are, you know, if it's outside of food, they're they're investing somewhere between the seventy five and hundred thousand dollar range. And while that may sound like a lot, I mean I always like to put it in context for people, you know, People purchase homes all the time. That's an investment. If you purchase a business, that's also an investment. You probably can't necessarily get, you know, uh, in certain parts of the country, a business, a house under a hundred thousand dollars. But you certainly can get a business, uh, and a business that you're building and can be a legacy for you, you know, long term. So uh, people need to put it in context in terms of what they're investing. But under a hundred thousand can get you a number of lucrative businesses um, in the franchise world, anything from commercial and residential cleaning, which has a very low overhead um, and, and, and high return on investment, uh, to children's education services, uh, which include tutoring, um, you know, after school programs, during school programs, all of that, that, that type, senior care, which is, is huge, uh, obviously, because we have an aging population. So you can get a, a lucrative senior care business for an investment, um, you know, between 75 and 100,000. So there are several categories where you don't, you know, need to have a lot of cash in order to do that. And again, as I stated before, if you have a credit score of 680, um, you can apply for what we call an, an SBA sort of, you know, quick quick loan and that's 150,000 or less. And again, you know, if you have, um, you know, 30,000 to put against that loan, they're going to fund your entire business, uh, with additional, uh, monies to, for working capital. So, you know, again, you know, $30,000, uh, is certainly doable for a lot of people. Uh, and, and when you're thinking about starting a business, that's a relatively reasonable investment. Wow, that's, yeah, that's amazing because, again, you know, like I said earlier, the whole word franchise, just it scares people away. Like, when people hear that, they automatically think of, like, the big brands, you know, uh, McDonald's, Burger King, and, like, oh, I can't afford that. But, you know, um, you can definitely get into the game and, you know, franchise smaller brands, well, lesser-known brands. I'm not going to call them smaller, but lesser-known brands and, you know, generate that income for yourself and possibly create jobs, like, Uh, Tell us about that. Like, you know, what are the numbers on jobs when it comes to franchising? Oh, I mean, franchising has... um has employed millions of people, um, and, and the number continues to grow um, annually. And that's because of a point that you just made, which is while people get a little bit... Um, you know, intimidated by the bigger brands. Um, what's happening more now is that people are understanding that they, you know, starting smaller can get you to that larger number. Okay. So um, a lot of times I will talk to clients that say, oh, you know, I, I want I want something that I can, 
uh, can grow um, and own multiple units or multiple territories. And that's great because you're, you're actually thinking about the future. You're actually thinking about building an empire. And so starting with one uh, is certainly um, a noble way to go. And to be honest, not all franchises will let you start with multiples. They they have to protect um, the success of their uh, their owner uh, network as well. Absolutely. So, you know, sometimes they'll make you start with one. Sometimes they'll let you option for more. But you know, really, you need to you know, concern yourself with being successful with one. And once you start building that up, I mean, most business owners will tell you, even if you're not franchising, once you start building a portfolio of businesses, it's a lot easier to get funding and it's a lot easier to purchase other, uh, other opportunities. Um, you know, I don't just work with clients that are, um, looking for to start new franchises. I, I work with clients daily that are looking to purchase existing franchises of an owner that's selling. So, mm. you know, we refer to that as the resale space. And, and that's a hot space because, you know, people retire or people want to move on to another um another field or another business, you know, entrepreneurials tend to be serial. So they like to do a lot of things right. at one time. They don't necessarily want to stay with something for, you know, five, 10 years. And so they move on to something else. So that's another situation where if you have the cash and you're able to jump right into a business that's already up and running, uh, that's another really great opportunity for people that are worried about, you know, it taking a couple of years to get uh, started. Mm. So um, with the whole resale aspect of it, what are some red flags when it comes to purchasing a franchise? Not necessarily with the resale, but that's just what made sure. me think of that. Just in sure. general, when you um, decide to buy a franchise, what are some red flags you suggest that entrepreneurs should look out for? Or like, Sure, you know, sure. So, so I'll take it from... Um, um, I'll, I'll, I'll take it from like a heat chart. So okay. when I have clients that are, um, looking for emerging brands, um, that means that they're okay with something that they saw that there's only a few of across the country and it's getting started and they really want to get in on the front end and they understand the risk of that because obviously um, if you don't have the same tra track record as, as a more mature brand, there is some risk to that. Absolutely. So, I, you know, that's a, that's a different client that I handle that they're willing to, they're, you know, they're a little less risk averse and they're willing um, to, to get into something that's a little newer. Um, on the other side of the fence, you know, people want, there are people that, you know, hey, I've got this amount of money to invest. I want to invest in something that's pretty well known. Doesn't necessarily have to be known nationally. It could be a regional thing um, that they're just really familiar with and they want to get into. And so, for those types of individuals, I coach them that they should be looking at brands that have fifty plus uh, units, um, you know, across the country. So that would be that would be the first thing. Um, the second thing, um, red flags, is responsiveness. So, you know, if I the first thing I do um, when I when I'm recommending to a client a brand, I engage with that brand. If it's not something that I'm really familiar with, I'll engage with them. And if I'm not getting you know return phone calls promptly, um, you know the information they're sending me isn't so great. It you know that's a red flag to me, and I will 
explain that to my client. Sometimes they want to move forward and it turns out fine, but that, that would certainly be a red flag. Okay. Um, companies that don't have up-to-date franchise disclosure documents, the FDD that I mentioned earlier, that's an issue. Um, so that would, that should be a red flag. And then ultimately, you know, one of the best, you know, deciding factors and whether you want to move forward or purchase a franchise is really what we call the validation piece with the current owners. If you are looking at a franchise, you need to get on the phone with as many current owners as you can and talk to them about their business. And if the franchise is only supplying you um, contact information for owners that um, that are successful, mm. uh, then there's a problem. Okay. So you know, when you speak to them, you want to make sure that they're they are giving you, um, you know, folks that have been in the in the network for you know close to ten years, so their their experience. Folks that have just gotten in, some mid-level, you know, mid-range, maybe five years, and then also people in your area, because that's also important. You know, what what works on the East Coast may not work on the West Coast. So those are the kind of things that um, you know you really want to look out for uh, when when you're vetting a franchise. A friend of mine here in the Midwest, based out of Chicago, he and he had a partner, and they uh, franchised a small brand, a regional brand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they ran into some issues. Basically, uh, they weren't um, making as much money as they were supposed to have made. But basically, uh, long story short, the franchisor wasn't providing them the support that they promised and also was mm-hmm. taking more of the royalties that they said that they would take. What do you mm-hmm. suggest to entrepreneurs in that situation? Well, that definitely becomes a legal matter because yeah. if they, yeah, if they, if they're, franchise agreement states a particular royalty and that is not being, you know, that's not being adhered to on the franchisor's part, I would definitely say you've got a legal matter that you've got to open, you know, or, or start pursuing quickly. In terms of the support, that's a difficult one to gauge. And, and again, I don't know if your friends did the due diligence to the to the point where I'm suggesting, mm-hmm. is that if, if a franchisor is not giving um, their existing network um, the support that they need, um, then you're going to hear from the owners. The owners, the owners have no reason to not tell you the truth because what's going to happen is um, those those franchisee owners are going to fail in the system. And every time there's a failure at a franchise, it gets reported in that FDD document up through the FTC. And if they're enrolled in things like SBA registry and, and loans and, and funding, they will lose that um, they will lose that qualification and because the SBA is not getting paid back. And so they're going to lose, you know, they're going to lose that qualification for SBA registry. So there's a lot of things that are going to happen negatively if that franchise continues to fail. So it's really important that you talk to owners and you're specific about, you know, what your expectation of a support is. So that's one. The other advice I would give, and I know it's a personal plug to, to myself and my colleagues, but I really encourage people to use franchise consultants. You know, not all of us are perfect, but, you know, that's what we do daily. We talk to franchisors daily. So we're going to be able to tell you, eh, we're not hearing such good things, or I talked to them last week and, and you know, the, the material that they're providing aren't good. So again, if you speak to somebody that's in the industry and you know is, is there to help you, you're going to get some inside uh, information that you just wouldn't receive just Googling on your own or even just calling up the franchisor. Absolutely. And yeah, that makes sense. You know, um, 
you always need a professional to handle things for you because you're never going to know everything. You know, that's why people hire wedding planners. That's why people hire, you know, lawyers. You know, you need a professional that's there who is already in that realm that knows more than you do. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because obviously in the times of, you know, Google and Internet, I mean, people always say, oh, well, you know, you know, what can you do for me? I can jump online and I can Google McDonald's and go to their website and and all of those things. Sure, of course you can do that. But I can guarantee you that you're not going to get the information um, that I can give you what's going on inside of McDonald's or, you know, refer you to some of their owners currently that, you know, you're going to be able to talk to. So, I mean, I don't represent McDonald's, but it's just, you know, really is an example of, you know, I have clients that have already purchased businesses with some of these brands mm-hmm. that I can connect you with directly. And and in the case, you know, me writing for Black Enterprise, that's what I do. I interview franchisees um, that are that have businesses, successful businesses, and then I can also connect people um, with those folks. And they can explain firsthand, you know, what their experience has been. So, you know, Google's great. It can get you so far, but it's not going to get you the inside information that you need. And, and I think people assume, assume that they can get everything they need. Also, uh, you know, just recently I had a client that uh, wasn't working with a consultant and and a friend of theirs referred them to me. They're looking at a particular um, industry. And when they called me, I said, well, you know, I have a couple of other brands that you may be interested in this industry. And I made some calls and I found out that there was a resale in their area and the resale was going um, for much less than the business was valued at because there was an issue with health um, for the owner and he needed to sell and it wasn't even a you know no the business wasn't being advertised openly so it's kind of a hidden gem so again those are the types of things that brokers can find for you that you can't find on your own now tell us about if an entrepreneur already has his own business his own independent brand that he built up Uh at what point can he or she start franchising and what are some steps that they could take to do that yeah, I'm glad you got back to this because I think we mentioned we mentioned this um, in the beginning, and, and I wanted to get back to it. So that's the second type of client that I work with, okay. and this is certainly less often because franchising a business is no easy task, and it's not for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. So, um, so if a client comes to me and says, "Hey, I have this business. It's doing great. I really love it. I think a lot of other people will love it." You know. Should I consider franchising? So, um, so the first thing is you have to be in business three or more years. Most, um, most franchise companies that will help you with franchising your business are looking for a track record that that a potential owner is going to be happy with and going to want to invest in. So you're going to have to at least have a uh, have a good track record of three or more years. So that's number one. Number two is you have to. Um, understand whether your business is um, easily duplicated, documented and duplicated and can work in in uh, different states, different territories, uh, different regions. So while we do have regional franchises, absolutely, um, it's not, you know, we don't necessarily recommend that you franchise with the thought of only being regional. So you're, you're sort of cutting yourself off. You want to be thinking, you know, hey, I want, I'd love my brand to be across the country and, and across the world. That's how great it is. So, so you really, it has to be something um, that, that, that can fit everywhere. So I'd like to give the example um, of, you know, healthy eating in California 
that's great. We've got a lot of that here. We've got some incredible brands that I represent that I that I highly recommend. Um, but a lot of it also it, it requires um, access to fresh fruits, um, grains, things that may not be as easy to get in other parts of the country, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you know some of those things you have to consider when you're looking at franchising. So that's just one example. So if, if your business is easily you know duplicated, um, you can turn over the, the operational manual to somebody and and it's and it's pretty easy for them to learn with some training provided by the franchisor. So that's another thing that you want to think about. And then the third thing in all honesty is money. I mean, we have to be honest about this. Mm-hmm. Um, most firms, including mine, and I can certainly, if if you have, if there are entrepreneurs out there listening to this and they want to talk about franchising their business, they can certainly come to me, and I do, um, I do do that work. Um, you're going to need at least fifty thousand dollars, and that's because for for mostly marketing, uh, but that also includes things like um, there are fourteen states that require that you register um, your uh, with their state um, your franchise disclosure document. So someone okay. has to create that document, attorney has to create that document, and then has to file with each of those 14 states. Uh, the other states uh, that don't require it, you could certainly start, you know, set up shop tomorrow, but, you know, f- for those 14, you must be registered. So that's one. Um, but the other thing that a firm can provide you is, is marketing. Um, and, you know, it's hard to get your name out there when no one knows who you are. So you're going to want to have a nice budget. That's going to be able to put that out there. You know, we say a minimum of 50,000, but if you're going to something like food where there's so much competition, you know, you're talking probably more in the hundred thousand range. So, um, so again, you know, those three things, um, three years in business minimum, um, uh, easily duplicated uh, business in in all parts of the country. And then a minimum of 50,000. What would you say is the success rate for that type of uh, tactic for franchising your own independent business? You know, I, I really can't tell you that number, and the only reason mm-hmm. is that we won't, we don't know about the ones that have failed. Okay. So, you know, my, my firm and, you know, there's lots of firms that do this. Um, they will put a brand out there and, you know, it just never takes off. And so we just don't necessarily know which, which of those there were. And that's why I said, it's not for the faint of heart. I, you know, franchising is something people need to understand that, you know, a lot of people when they're an entrepreneur and they start a business, they start that business because they love that business. They love working in that business every day. They love their clients and, and it's something that, you know, they're really passionate about. When you decide that you want to franchise a business, you then move from what you're passionate about to a full business person because your job is no longer running that business every day. Let's say you have a spa that you love. You know all your clients' names, right? Right. Um, and, and you see them every day and you, know, you work with your technicians and you just love your team. Well, once you decide I'm going to franchise, you're out of that daily space. You are now working with my firm or someone else that's helping you get that, get those um, documents written, get them filed, figure out a marketing plan. So you're, you know, so it's something, it's a transition that not everybody A is good at, but B ultimately doesn't want to do. So it's something you really have to think about because you are becoming a different type of business person than the one that you've been used to on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it's kind of like um, you're basically, you know, you're, you're letting your baby go. You know, you're going Correct. from like that mom and pop, you know, scenario to basically a 
a global or you know national corporation with many Correct. hands into it. And yet, a lot of entrepreneurs really don't want to do that. You know, um, that's because right. That's right. Your business is your baby. You know. <laughs> yeah, and and a lot of times I'll recommend people before they jump from you know I have this store and I now I want a franchise or I have this product and now I want a franchise I recommend that they open multiple locations and and you know maybe have somebody else purchase you know or be a partner with you and see how comfortable you are with letting go right because um you know you're obviously not running three locations at one time it's not possible so you're gonna have to have a manager of something else or you know manage of another location and if you're comfortable with that then you'll might be much more comfortable with the proliferating across the country without you being there on a daily basis so uh, you know like you said a lot of people aren't necessarily comfortable with that it is their baby they own it they want it to go exactly the way they want it to go and and while you know franchises have rules the reality is, you know, people are different and they, they're going to do things a little bit differently and you're going to have to be comfortable with that. When you purchase a franchise for a uh, brand, and I'm sure this is, you know, it varies from uh, brand to brand, but are there cases like when you purchase a franchise, does, does that make you a shareholder in that brand? How does that work, the franchise shareholder, you know, dynamic? Not generally. So, okay. so... So let me describe to you the two most common franchises. Um, it's a franchise where there is a franchisor structure and you are paying royalties based on gross sales, right? So you're paying a percentage. Uh, you're paying a percentage of your sales back to the franchisor to. Um, to account for things like marketing, local, national marketing, um, software licensing, all of those sorts of things. You know, some franchisors are doing payroll for you. Okay. Some franchisors have 24 by 7 call centers they're manning. So, all, you know, royalties are going to that. I know a lot of people, you know, have a little bit of an issue with, you know, why don't, why don't I want to pay you? But there's a lot going on in that background that and, the, the, the franchisee owner doesn't have to handle or worry about. And that's so, the most common, uh, t- that's the most common. Right, the royalty setup. It is. Setup. It, is mm-hmm. the, it is the most common. Then there's what we call um, uh, uh, business opportunities, and a lot of business opportunities do not have royalties. They have an initial franchise fee, but they don't have an ongoing royalty rate. So, um, so, but what you'll find with that is that you tend to get less support, um, and and there are things like vending, you know, vending. Um, machines or or vending services, um, something that is a lot more autonomous and doesn't need um, as much support um, as something like a restaurant or a senior care facility or or something like that. Okay. So so I would say um, you know so so that's what you need to keep in mind. Uh, but so when you so when you purchase a franchise, you have you are actually your own entity. So you're not considered a shareholder in that in that the, the franchise isn't your corporation. You're mm-hmm. not part of that corporation. You're actually creating your own entity. So mm-hmm. one of the things, the first things that you do when you purchase a franchise is you sit down with your CPA and you decide how do you want to create your entity. So some people decide to be LLC. Some people decide they need to be a corporation for for many reasons. Um, it can be an S corp or C-Corp, but all of that you work out with your CPA. And, um, you know, so so, and just a side note on that, a lot of times people end up being an S-Corp or C-Corp or going to the corporation because they're actually using their 401k to fund their business and to pay their salary. Mm-hmm. 
So if you're in a situation where you you know have enough cash in your 401k and you've decided, hey, I don't want to wait till I retire to use this money. I want to reinvest in myself now. Uh, there's great programs that um, are managed by um, by firms that know how to um, repurpose a 401k tax-free, uh, no penalties, and, and you can start your business and, and get a salary. So in those cases, you need to be a, a corporate status. Mm-hmm. So, so, so because you are creating your own um, entity, you're not considered a shareholder of a franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're a separate entity, you're your separate entity, and you know, there's, no, there's no tax dependence you know, on each other. So that's important to know. Um, it's, I do, it's interesting. I do get a lot of questions. A lot of people come to me. A lot of people have read the story about, um, Chick-fil-A and how Chick-fil-A works and everybody wants Chick-fil-A and Chick-fil-A is great, great brand. Lots of people love the food. Um, they've done great things with the brand, Mm -hmm. um, but Chick-fil-A is a different model. Um, we refer to it more as a profit sharing model with Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A has a low point of um, entry in terms of an investment. I believe now they require 15000 for an owner to invest. 15000 Yes, 15000 Wow. Um, but what happens is you don't actually own the store like you would if you had a McDonald's or if you had a Burger King or, you know, another large franchise, uh, you are actually um, profit sharing. You're, you're seen as the owner manager of that store. But if they, if you were to leave or they were to close the store, it's not something you can sell. It's not a business you can sell. It does belong to corporate. So there's an agreement um, that it's owner operated, uh, but, but it's a, it's more of a profit sharing model. You don't actually own the store. Oh, that's interesting. I never knew that. I didn't. I didn't know Chick Fil A. You know, did anything like that. I thought it was all you know, corporate, private. No, you know, no. control. Yeah, they do. They do have corporate stores. Um, they do have a combination of both, but they are a case where they do have franchising owners. And I say this to let people know out there that it sounds great that it's fifteen thousand. It's a low investment, but I will tell you that they get over ten thousand applicants annually, and they only open a hundred stores each year. So the race to get a Chick-fil-A is a very difficult process and people are in in conversations back and forth validation for years um, before they actually are awarded a Chick-fil-A. So, you know, those are the things that you need to think about when you're looking at at businesses. What do you think is one of the biggest reasons why black and minority entrepreneurs should really get into franchising. Like after everything we talked about, what do you really think sure. is one of the biggest reasons why we need to get into this space? Cause it's not many of us, you know, compared to other races. When you look at most of the businesses in black and minority communities, they're franchised by other races. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think, I think funding is definitely an issue and a concern, um, in our community. Um, a lot of people don't feel that they, um, have the money or have the access to funding. And, and so, you know, the idea of, I'm just going to start something small on my own, um, is, is, is more palatable. Right. So, so that's really one of the reasons like I said, I got into this business is, um, yes, franchises do require an investment, there's a reason for that. There's a reason that you can make um, really good money, be in business for a long time, and grow easily because there's a structure in place and there's a lot of lessons learned that an independent business owner kind of has to learn and fumble along the way. Um, and, and so for me, franchising uh, should give you a level of comfort that owning an independent independent business doesn't necessarily give you. I also really encourage people to partner up 
um, with family members or friends that they trust, that they that complement them in business, and that they can split the investment with, uh, because that again makes it easier. And I, I think people don't think about that enough uh, about partnering. Um, and and I would say, you know, thirdly, I mean, we just have a natural fear in our community that, you know, that that someone's out to get us or someone's going to cheat us. And again, that's another reason why I got into this business, because I'd like to help facilitate that role and say that's not the case at all. Um, you know, we have a we have an instinctual fear just because of what's, you know, transpired in our country and, and things that have, um, you know, stopped us from getting ahead and that's not necessarily the case with people that are immigrants to this country they haven't had that discrimination so that fear factor isn't necessarily there for them in addition um it's hard to you know it's hard and it's costly to get an education in this country when you're not from here so if you're if you're migrating over, you know, you're thinking about, OK, so now I'm going to have to get a college education and then compete, you know, in the open market, with you know, other you know people for the corporate world. So they'll they'll come over or they'll invest while they're you know in their country and they'll get a investor's visa to come over and run the business. And they don't have that same fear or stigma that they're going to be discriminated against or failure. And they just jump right in with both feet. And it, it, you know, they've seen amazing success with it. They don't give up the businesses. They pass them on, right, to family members. And it just becomes a legacy for them. And it's something that we need to start doing now so that we can be building that. Um, And and the fear of, you know, unemployment and those kind of things will be less for us because we're controlling our own destiny. Absolutely. I agree with that. Uh, That's a lot of powerful wisdom. So how can we get in contact with you, Nancy? Everybody out there listening, if they want to follow up with you and get more information outside of this podcast, how can they contact you? Sure. So I have a toll-free number that you can call me on anytime, 800-710-7457. And then you can email me at any time uh, at uh, nancy at the letter N followed by Valuable Franchise Consulting. So it's Invaluable Franchise Consulting. I'm on um, Twitter as well as uh, LinkedIn. You can reach me there as well. Um, just you know, search for Nancy Williams uh, Franchise Consultant, and it usually pops, pops right up. So uh, call me anytime. As I said, I'm more than willing to help. Um, people understand a lot more about the franchising world, get more comfortable with it, um, do radio interviews and podcasts because really it's about getting the word out uh, so that as we talked about, people get much more comfortable with being business owners to break down some of those um, fear, you know, barriers of fear. And at at the very least learn what's out there and also learn how you can finance a business because if you're not in a position to do it today, doesn't mean you won't be in a position to do it next year and you can't work toward it unless you know what what's required. And is what's one last piece of mogul motivation you would like to tell all the entrepreneurs out there listening? I would say um, you have got to search for who you are and, and what you want and spend time doing that. Um, it isn't an easy discussion to have with yourself. As I said, if you are already in corporate America or have a steady job, um, you know, you've got to be able to have the confidence in yourself to say, um, you know, I'm, I'm making all this money for someone else. I know I can do it for myself and, and let me explore that. And, you know, it's, and, and, and don't give up if you have that conversation once and, and you just set it aside, keep revisiting it because if it's tugging at you, it means there's something there and and you really shouldn't ignore it. You should explore it. 
Don't ignore it. Explore it. Powerful words. Exactly. Thank you exactly. very much, Nancy Williams, for sitting down with us this week on the Monday Conversation. It was, it was a pleasure. My pleasure, too, as well. Anytime. All right. You have a great day. And everybody out there listening, let's continue to work. Let's continue to match reality, and let's make it happen. Until next week.